Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello and welcome everyone. Uh, of course, I'm your host, Daryl Urbanski. And today we've got a very special treat for you. Today we're being joined by Rick Barrera. And I'm going to do two types of introductions. So one, I want you to understand who we have on the call today and especially what he should be recognized for. But I also want to tell you a bit about him because I'm fortunate enough that I actually know Rick on a personal level. So first of all, Rick is a nationally acclaimed speaker, marketing consultant, and author known throughout the Fortune 500 for his extraordinary speaking ability. He's been speaking for years and years and his unique approach to brand building. Um, his research on strategies used by breakthrough brands like Apple, American Girl, Minute Click, Lexus, Google, and Starbucks will change your thinking about marketing forever. He's helped uh, hundreds of companies redesign their systems and implement a holistic approach to serving customers. His impressive client list includes Abbott Labs, AutoZone, Bayer, Caterpillar, IBM, Intel, Merrill Lynch, and Verizon. Um, he's got a number of books. His newest one is Overpromise and Overdeliver, How to Design and Deliver Extraordinary Customer Experiences. He also is co-author of Non-Manipulative Selling, uh, originally published by Prentice Hall, and Collaborative Selling, originally published by John Wildly uh, and Sons. So, and I also am fortunate enough to know Rick, and he's actually a phenomenal human being, a very generous, very, very kind soul. Um, he really does walk the talk, and he's just a wonderful family man, and a very, very good friend, and a very good businessman. And it's just, Rick, it's an honor to have you on the call today. Thank you, thank you for joining us. Well, I'm honored to, to make it onto the roster with Daryl. <laughs> well, um, thank you. Thank you. Rarefied air up here. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, the feeling's mutual, my friend. So, um, yeah, so we're on the call today. We want to talk kind of a little bit about you and your story and how you even got started. Um, you've had an extensive career, um, and I love hearing your stories. In fact, even when I'll share, you know, Rick, he's been in the game for so long and, and speaking from stage and been a bit of a celebrity for a while that he even was one of the first to have a cell phone uh, back when it used to take up the whole trunk of your car and used to like playing jokes on his friends by calling them from their driveway and then just hanging up the phone, shutting his trunk and going knocking on their door. And this is back again when cell phones like that didn't exist. So he was literally a magician and that's just the kind of personality Rick has. So I just, I love those kinds of stories and um, you're just a really interesting character. Um, but how did you even get into the game, like way back in the day? Well, first, first I have to tell you the, you know, the sort of the reverse of the cell phone story, which is, you know, so I used to use it to play pranks on people, but, <clears throat> but the way 
it was priced back then. You you paid for every minute. Okay. And 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 uh, it didn't matter who made the call. So my friends would call me just to run my bill up. <laughs> so I'd be in my car, and they'd all take turns calling me. You know, because even if even if, you know if I just answered the, you know to to say you know hey stop that it still cost me money it was like it was like a dollar a minute or something like that so, <laughs> so you, got it. you got the first you laugh saw, and you got the last laugh yeah exactly <laughs> so you know those of you who have all these you know free cell phone minutes and unlimited texting and all that you just don't understand that you used to get you know these bills for 300 400 a month just for your car phone it was crazy yep, yep. so you know it's interesting when you ask me how i get started I, you know I, I i started you know when thinking about this i was thinking about my professional career but then i went back a step at sort of my teenage years and then i had to go back sort of to the beginning so you know, I, they say necessity is the mother of invention. I, I grew up in a little town called Derrick City, Pennsylvania. It's one mile long uh, with 52 homes, and, and there's really not, nothing there. It's very rural in the middle of Pennsylvania. Hmm. And so I was the youngest, youngest of five kids, and there just, you know, there was no way for me to earn money, and I joined the Cub Scouts, and I got the Boys Life magazine. And in the back of the magazine, it said that you could sell seeds and you could make money. And so, you know, I bought some seeds from the back of the catalog with, you know, the few dollars that I had. And I went door to door and I sold seeds. And then there was another ad in the back of the magazine that said, you know, that you could sell Christmas cards. So I sold Christmas cards hmm. door to door to the 52 homes. And then I became a, <laughs> and then I became a paper boy. To the 52 homes, and uh, you know, I sort of got a reputation. People saw me coming and turn the lights off and hide behind the couch because they knew I was selling something. But um, you know, it was the only way I could earn money for candy and things like that as a kid. You know, the things that I wanted, or you know, radios and you know, whatever toys I was trying to right. acquire at the time. So, Potato so guns. you know, the point was I learned to I learned to sell in my neighborhood to people who were you know generally kind to me and and. Uh, and I think that had a profound effect. When I was 16, I saw an ad in the newspaper, and it said, it said, student with a car. And I thought, oh, my God, they're going to pay me to drive. Like, mm. what could be better when you're 16 than somebody <laughs> right. pay you to drive? <laughs> and so I showed up for the interview, and, and the guy wasn't there. And I said, well, what do you mean he's not here? And they said, well, he, he left early. And I said, well, where is he? And they said, he's over at the Holiday Inn. Again, this was, you know, back in rural Pennsylvania many years ago. So I went to the Holiday Inn. I said, where is the guy? And they said, you know, room 315. So I went up to room 315. I banged on the door. And I said, you know, hey, you know, we had an interview. And he, you know, he came to the door in his boxer shorts, a T-shirt. And he had a six-pack under his arm. And... He says, you know, what, what are you doing? And I said, you know, you and I had an interview scheduled, and you didn't show up, so I'm here for my interview. Right. That's <laughs> awesome. and, and so he he said to me, he goes, he goes, well, you're too young. I said, I'm a student with a car. That's what the ad said. Right. And he said, he said, well, I was looking for a college student. I said, well, what can they do that I can't do? And he said, look, if you can find four people to work for me, uh by tomorrow, you got the job. 
So I said, well, that's easy enough. I went home and I called four of my friends and I said, you know, you need to show up tomorrow even if you don't want the job permanently because i got to get this job right. as the manager. <laughs> <laughs> so so four, people, four of my friends showed up and all five of us showed up in the office and he looked at me and he goes, oh, my God, you really did? And I said, yeah, I did. And so I got the job and it was selling newspaper subscriptions over the phone. And uh, so I learned an enormous amount from him about, you know, how to learn, uh, how to sell over the phone. And, mm. and I mean, it was a tremendous education, cold calling uh, on the phone, selling newspaper subscriptions. And I did that all over the area. And, uh, and then I, I actually turned out to be one of the top producers in the country. And so they sent me in the summertime, they were sending me to, you know, Philadelphia and New Jersey and places like that to, to do it full time. I went down to Pittsburgh and ended up, I had uh, three ships a day, 140 people working for me when I was 17 years old. Wow. So, so, you know, that was, uh, you know, really, really good, you know, good learning. And it was sort of humorous because the CEO thought that I was in college. And so, you know, he came to take me out to dinner and tell me what a great job I was doing. And he was buying the cocktails and I couldn't drink them because I wasn't 21. (laughs) 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 I I couldn't tell him I was 21 and I didn't want to get carded. So, Right. That was uh, <clears throat> that was fun. That's awesome. But uh, then I went to college so I could get a good job and uh, had a lot of jobs in between. And then you know where my sales career really started is that when I was in college I was doing sales um, and and I had I was doing pretty well and some people asked me you know they said hey you, you're you know you're doing pretty well in sales can you come over and teach my salespeople what you're doing and again it was you know sort of a rural area with you know, much more networking than, you know, formal. Right. And so I, you know, I started doing sales training on the side, and then I found a sales training franchise mm-hmm. and uh, paid $10,000 and, and uh, got into a sales training franchise. That turned out to be a bust. They went bankrupt, but got me into the business, and that's that's how I started. That is excellent. What a great story. Yeah, no, I... I um... I can speak from experience. You definitely know your stuff and you've got great, great content. And I love um, even your approach. It almost sounds in some ways kind of like the Socratic method. Um, um, just because you, you love using questions and that sort of thing. So um, what was kind of your biggest challenge, I guess, in, in your business career or just in sales? I mean, because it's, it's something so many people struggle with. You know, they feel like they're competing with their client or that, you know, there's always like the whole like, yeah, I take the bull by the horns, you know, kind of sales guys that's like, go out there and sell and, you know, and that sort of thing. Yeah, so, well, yeah, the approach is backwards. So, so I, I always felt, you know, not, the, not when I was selling seeds and cards. I was, you know, just a kid trying to figure things out back then. But, you know, I got a business degree, and I, I and I always felt I always wanted to be a doctor, really, because I thought it'd be really cool to be able to heal people. I thought mm, that I didn't know uh, that sort of miraculous, yeah. But you know, I didn't like the sight of blood, and I and I couldn't get through <laughs> chemistry. <Good>. So, <laughs> so I decided that probably was not going to happen. Right. Um, but I got a business degree and, 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 and part of the reason was because I, I worked in a lot of retail settings and I really felt like it, it was, it was helping people, you know, people would come in and they'd say, you know, well, I, you know, I don't understand this or I need help with that, or I'm trying to find this and we'd help them. I worked for a company 
Uh, it was a retail store that we sold cameras, guns, motorcycles, sporting goods, and audiovisual equipment. Oh, and stereo equipment. So um, it was all big boys' toys. Right. I mean, you know, there was nothing that, you know, was mission critical. So our motto was, you know, if you need it, we don't have it. But if you want it, we've got it. And, uh, <laughs> and so people were always coming in and they'd say, you know, hey, I you know, want to get into photography, but I don't know how. And so we'd help do that. Or, you know, I, you know, I'm trying to, you know, learn about, you know, stereo equipment, I don't know anything about it, it's very expensive, and so we'd educate them. So it was, it was, you know, it was a, it was a very much a relationship sell, even though it was retail. Right. And, and I really liked that whole sense of helping people, and then I worked for a jewelry store, it's the same thing, you know, you're helping people pick an engagement ring that they're going to wear for the next, you know, 100 years, hopefully. Um, it's a big decision. Right. And, and so, you know, it's much more about helping than it is about, you know, selling the biggest diamond in the, the room or whatever it might be. It's really, you know, becomes very personal and very relationship-focused, and I really, I like that. And so when I got into the sales training franchise, it was, you know, much more manipulative tactics and things like that. And then I met, you know, Tony Alessandra and Phil Wexler, and we sat and we were talking about, the selling process, and Tony had sold, uh, you know, pots and pans to, you know, unsuspecting young women who were engaged. Um, well, that was the profile. They they ha- they had to be engaged. So it was the mother and the you know this engaged woman, and so you know Tony would you know pull all of the pots and pans. You know, they do it at the mother's house, and and they pull all the pots and pans that she'd collected over the years and put them on the floor. And he'd say, you know, I mean, and you know what that looks like in any right. typical house that, you know, raised children to the age of, you right. know, where they're getting married is there's one of these and two of these and a brown one and a green one and a blue one and a burned one and a broken one. And a, right. Right. And he would look at the mother and he'd say, is, is, is this what you want for your daughter? Hmm. And the, and the mother would say, oh, no, she's this beautiful, gleaming right here. Right. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so this was, you know, it was a huge manipulation. And obviously, you know, the poor daughter is sitting there going, wait, wait, wait a minute. You know, my mother was supposed to protect me from the evil sales guy. And now my mother and the sales guy are ganged up on me. Right, <laughs> right, right, uh, right. <laughs> and so, you know, so that was Tony's deal, and Phil used to sell burglar alarms, and so, you know, he was going to people's, people's homes, and he would, you know, he would refuse to leave, and he'd say, well, you know, now that I know that you don't have an alarm system, it would be unscrupulous for me to leave because you're unprotected. Mm. So, you know, until you agree to, you know, to be protected, it's just, you know, and my, you know, I just can't do that, you know, which is also horribly manipulative. Right. Um, right. Right. So when, so when we, you know, when we started talking, it was pretty interesting. We were talking. I mean, we were all very successful at what we did, but we didn't like how it felt. Hmm. And I'm sure that that's a problem with a lot of people when they think about selling. They think about you know slimy manipulation kind of stuff, and we didn't like that. And yeah. so we we started to figure out. You know, we sort of look at various disciplines 
to say, well, how, how do you help people? How do you help people make a decision without manipulating them? Right. And so we ended up, we looked at all the business literature and there wasn't anything. And so we started to look, you know, at nursing. We started to look at the healing arts. We started to look at the clear beauty uh, and into psychology and really try to understand, you know, how do you help people make decisions that are in their best interest. And, um, and that's where the methodology came from. And it's, it is all questions. It's all questions from the beginning of the methodology to the end of the methodology. It's nothing but questions. And it's, and it's, it's, you know, it's not designed to manipulate or persuade. It's designed barely to help them get clarity about what's most important in their lives. Mm. And to the, to the, to the extent that what you have on offer is aligned with that, then you know they'll assimilate that into their lives. Right. If what if what you have isn't aligned, then you know you're you know then what you try to do is help them realize that it isn't. And so yep. you know I mean, this this happens to me all the time. So you know one of the one of the shortest sale I ever made in my life was um, at a technical school in New York City. And they had put out the call, and they were interviewing several consultants. And uh, she was a newly ended MBA and taking over her father's company. And I walked into the room, and she was sitting at the glass desk. And she said to me, uh, "You know, so what can you do for me?" And I said, "I have no idea what I can do for you." And she said, we, we we just met twenty seconds ago. I said, "You know, my belief is that prescription without diagnosis is malpractice." And so until until I learn more about you and your school and your goals and what you're trying to accomplish and what the obstacles are, I don't, I don't know if I can help you. Maybe I can, maybe I can't. Got it. Wait, I want, she, to, I want to stop. She, I want to rephrase that. Prescription, what was it? Prescription without prescription di- before, di- before diagnosis is, is malpractice. malpractice. Yeah, I love that. That is great. That is quite the gem. Okay, sorry, keep going, keep going. Yeah, so... So, you know, as soon as I said that, she slammed her fist on the desk and she said, you're hired. (laughs) To do what? She said, I don't know, but you're the first guy, you know, the first consultant who's been in here today who made any sense to me at all. You know, you're the only one who's concerned about me and and focused on my issues instead of trying to sell whatever it is they have in their bag. And so, you know, that, that was, you know, that was my shortest one. But I just, I just had it happen again, you know, a couple of weeks ago. I was introduced, uh, you know, to a client by uh, actually a mutual friend of ours, Daryl, um, and uh, and you know, I, I I called I called the guy and he you know he said you know well how much is this going to cost me I said I don't even know what we're going to do right and he said well you know well what is it you do and I said you know what what I do for you I don't know because I I don't know anything about you or your company or your situation or you right. know what's going on or what your issues or problems might be. So, you know, if there's a fit, then we'll find something and then I'll be happy to give you a price. But I, I really don't have any idea that that really threw him. Hmm. Um, so it, it's, you know, it's, it, I always take that approach. Well, it's just, and, a, uh, just a good approach and it, it really helps people because I think that a lot of people like it's, it's, I love how you, it's, you use the term collaborative selling because 
it, it really is. I mean, I have a deep-seated belief that a business should solve a problem. Like, you go to the dentist's office because your teeth hurt or you're in pain, and so you go in, like, in pain and crying and sad on the front end, but then you leave, and I always consider the business as a black box that performs its magic, and you leave on the other side, you know, happy, smiling, beautiful teeth on the other side, and that's that problem that you're solving. So I love even just even, like you said, like, prescription before diagnosis is malpractice. I love that because... Um, it's just, it's just the right thing. It's not about pushing products on people who don't need it and like making sales. I think that's really the wrong mentality. And that may have worked in the old world, but today where the internet and things are so transparent, I don't think that works at all. And in fact, I think that's a great way to shoot yourself in the head, um, is just to, to, to have that approach and to try and steamroll people. So, um, yeah. Well, yeah, but the, 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 the collaboration is, is also critical for commitment. So, so if you if you think about this, you know, supposing you know you got sick and you went to the world's greatest doctor, mm-hmm. and uh, and you you know you walk in and he says, you know, hi Daryl, it's great to meet you. Here, take these pills. Great to see you. Yeah, <laughs> you, right. would you take the pills? Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. You, to you, say. I mean, you 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 know, even though he's the world's greatest doctor, and you might believe. That you know that the right you know you're looking at that and you're going he he didn't ask me any questions he didn't he didn't take my vitals he didn't you know he didn't do any diagnosis so how do I know if it's the right pill or not and and so there's no there's no commitment on the part of the customer right to to comply right and that's one of the it's one of the biggest issues in medicine today is compliance mm. is you know they, they you know doctors give you know patients a regimen or a pill or a whatever and they don't take them. Well, why not? Because because they're not committed to that. No, and they're and because, the because, meetings are so short now. Like, sorry. right? Well, they've been pronounced upon. You know, Daryl, I've looked at your test results, and you know, I've determined that you need to take these three pills. So, take this one in the morning, this one at noon, this one at night, and I'll see you in two weeks. Right. And you go home, and you go, I, you know, do I want to take that pill? Does that feel good for me? What are the side effects? My legs are going to fall off. I'll never have sex again. You know, you know, you, you know. You, you don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 uh, you know, then you turn on the TV and you got, you know, not only all the drugs with the side effects, but then you have all the, you know, the attorneys, you know, General suing everybody over the, you know, <laughs> you know so yeah. there you go, you know, do I want to take that pill? I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I really have to be a partner in my own healthcare to understand, you know, why I should be committed to that regimen. Well, and also another it's, thing it's, that, sorry, um, but something else. I well, I mean, it's the same thing in business. You know, if, if, you know, just because you, you know, you're the guru and you say this is what you should do doesn't mean that somebody's going to do it. Right. And that's so important in any business. I was just talking about that this morning. Um, I'm working with a client and he's been very successful and he's got like a 35 year track record. And he thinks that one of the keys to his success has been that the sale doesn't necessarily happen when someone gives you money, that that's really when, like, that's when you have to to validate the sale. Just because someone gives you money once, exactly you're saying, it doesn't, there's no buy-in from the client. You really need them to comply and them to be on board. And then you need to, because if, especially if you want them to get results with what you're doing, because almost everything you do, unless you're doing everything for them, they have to, even like if you're cutting hair, if the kid's not, you know, if you're not sitting still, if your flood's flopping around, if you're not part of the process, it's it's hard to get you the result that you desire. And then also from a business perspective, how are you going to sell that person more if they're not on board and if they're not there with you? So I, I yeah, I fully, I, I I'm on board. You got me on board. I'm sold. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's 
you know, that's, that's basically what, you know, what the whole philosophy is about. It's, it's really, you know, a lot of interrogatory and really exploring. And then, and then, you know, we don't, we don't start the collaboration process until they ask for help. So, mm. you know, my, my view is, you know, that you can't coach into no demand, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're a coach. You get that. You know, if the person doesn't want to coach, you, you can talk at them all day long. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So until until they ask for your help, until they say, you know, what what can you do for me, or how can you help me, or what products do you have, or whatever, until until they're open to that, yeah. uh, there's no point in even trying to collaborate. And then and then the collaboration phase is really about um, literally sitting side by side with them and co-creating a solution. So, you know, we, we still are, you know, pitching too much. I mean, I, you know, people call me and they say my sales team is not getting the results they want. And I said, it's because they're pitching too much. And they say, well, you haven't been out with them. And I said, you want to bet? Well, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's, it's how people sell. They get excited about their product. They're full of product knowledge. They're full of all the benefits and they want to, you know, pitch and pitch and pitch and pitch. But, you know, people aren't, if they're not open to listening, then all that is wasted. And so, you know, you've got to do the exploring phase until they say, okay, now I'm interested. What do you have? And even then it's not, here's your solution. It's here's an option. Uh One option would be to do this. Another option might be to do that. Another option might be to do that. And then they start picking like a Chinese menu, right? Or what about this? What about that? So I mean, I was just I was just talking to a person the other day, and they were you know they were spending you know two thirds of their week writing proposals. They said I never write proposal. They said, well, how do you how do you not write a proposal? And I say because what what is a proposal? A proposal is my vision of what you need. Okay, what what are the odds that my vision of what you need is going to exactly match your vision of what you need? It's zero or something close to zero. Yeah, because they're two different people. And yeah, I, exactly. I, yeah. Two different points of view, two different sets of experiences, two, you know, the whole thing. So, so what happens? You know, you, you, you spend all this time pouring your heart into a proposal and you think, oh man, this is the perfect solution. Right. And you lob it over the wall. And the person on the other side looks at it and they go, yeah, you know, I don't really like this and that doesn't really fit. And I wish there were more of this and I really don't think I need that part. Oh, this is cool. I'd like a lot more of that. But then they look at the price and they go, well, uh, you know, that doesn't work either. Right. Mm. It's too big or too small or, or, you know, it's I'm paying for all this stuff over here that I don't want. I'm not getting enough of this stuff over here that I really want more of. Right. And so the whole thing doesn't work. And so what do they do? Right, so they can either call you up and have a big confrontation, you know, hey, Daryl, you completely and totally missed, you know, should have more of this, less this, 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 I'm paying over here for this, and, you know, and then they have a confrontation, which most people don't like, so I don't want to do that, I don't want to have a confrontation, because that'll hurt Daryl's feelings, and I'll get, have to get all exercised and whipped into a frenzy to tell him how badly he missed. So it's just way easier to say, well, Daryl, I'm thinking about it. You know, uh, put it aside, I've, I'm going to go ask the committee, I'm going to whatever. Well, the fact of the matter is that, you know, even if they wanted to fix it, nobody's got time today. Everybody's doing five jobs. Right. Right. They have kids. They have lives. They have what? They don't have time to fix your proposal. Yeah. 
Okay, so they put it aside and they never get back to it. It never happens. Right, you know, right, about right. Eight, you know, about seventy percent of all the proposals that are put out there, and you don't even get a response. Let, let alone no, you just don't get any response at all. Right. So, you know, it's just a shot in the dark. So I, I don't do that. So it's a it's collaboration. So you know what I say is, Daryl, you know, if you say, you know, can you, geez, Rick, those are great ideas. Can you write me a proposal? I say no. So here's what I'm going to do, Daryl. As long as you're willing to sit side by side with me, we can co-create the perfect solution and put, you know, including budget. We don't just do the solution; we do, you know, money too, right? It's right, all got right. a match. Right, right, right. It's a total. It's a total solution. As long as you'll sit side by side with me, we can we can co-create the ideal scenario, and we'll figure it out. If you're unwilling to do that, right? If they say no, I'm not. I don't want to do that. You just go do it. I say, yeah, it's not. I'm sorry, it's not what I do. And I pass because it's it's just a, it's a waste of time. I'd rather go find somebody else who's willing to sit side by side with me. Right. So I used to have I used to have a, a bank of file cabinets in my office of all the proposals I wrote that never you know went anywhere. And you know one day somebody asked me you know well, you know what happens in your successful proposals and I realized they were in my desk drawer because those were all the clients I was working with. And I went, and I went through and looked at them, and like all these people sat with me and co-created this, and all those people over there refused to sit with me. And that was the end of that. I just stopped doing it. Yeah, because your times—that's the thing that we haven't talked about at all here. We haven't talked about the time of the sales rep or whoever that person is that's engaged. No, exactly. Yeah, that's a huge. Yeah, because I mean, it's yeah, because it's a, it's a huge component of it. I mean, I was just reading a book. Um, what book was it? Anyways, I was reading. Oh, the success system that never fails. Uh, w. Clement Stones, and they're talking about how you know just documenting your time and that you know how much time do you spend actually selling versus you know versus you know hanging out at the water cooler, all this sort of stuff like that. But even like what you're talking about here, how many people are you spending? Like you know you're you're already doomed. Like you're already set up for failure. Exactly like you said you're you're supposed to imagine what they want and send them some sort of magical piece of paper that knows what they're thinking, feeling, and what budget they're looking to spend, and going from there versus exactly that custom fitting it and that's such a huge thing like i'm a marketer so i'm on the other foot where i don't do a lot of face-to-face selling as much as i should even just to keep my teeth sharp but humans have this unique thing where we want things that are custom built for us nobody goes out and buys a shoe you go out and you buy a running shoe a hiking shoe a walking shoe a dress shoe it's the same thing like even for the clothing you buy i'm buying gym clothes i'm buying well and, and you also want it in your size and your color Right. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that that's, um, now I think that that's really key. Now, does that impede with a company's ability to have st- a standard service offering or something that they can deliver that allows them to scale? Cause I'm sure some people are listening to this and they're like, I can't, you know, customers are going to want too much variety. I can't keep up with that. Do you think that that's really an issue or do you think that, um, well, I'll let you answer. Well, the question. No, it, well, no, it, 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 it depends. So, so in in basic offerings, you can certainly get started, right? But then you know, as you look to premium offerings or or custom offerings, right? So I mean, you know, in the information business, there's the you know, there's the you know, here's my general information, and there's the the do it with you program, and then there's the do it for you program. And what are they? They're higher levels of customization, right? Right. right. But, but they also come with a with a corresponding price, right? Of course. So. So it it depends it depends on the business, um, 
And, you know, there, there, there is definitely a school of business out there that says, look, you, you make what you make and then, you know, go through 5 million people if you need to, to find the, you know, find the people you need to buy your standard product. Right. That is, that is very expensive and it's getting more expensive. Right. Yep. So, yep. so, you know, and, you know, and it works. But you, you know, you're, you have to go through a lot more people to find people who want your generic offering. Right. To the extent that you can, you know, custom tailor it. And, and, and very often companies have multiple products, right? So they have, you know, if it's a software company, they have different tiers and different levels and different modules and different whatever. And so, again, you write this proposal and you go, well, here's the modules I think you need. Instead of sitting with them and saying, which module is most critical to you right now? Well, the first one would be this. Okay, what about the next one? What about the next one? What about the next one, right? Right. So, so I mean, like Infusionsoft is a great example, right? You know, they have all kinds of, you know, software and plugins and whatever. But, you know, for me, it was about finding this is what I need in my business right now. Right. And then I know that it has these other things that I can add. So, I mean, I just add fix your funnel. Great. So, you know, now I've added that. I've learned how to use it. And that, that's helped my business. And now I'll go and I'll add some other pieces. And so, you know, most businesses are not just, one thing. It's not just one right. single product. Of course. Right? There, yep. There's, you know, there's choices within that, right? So right. it's it's about helping them to tailor that. And the other thing we haven't talked about is the willingness to walk away. So, I mean, this this is one of the one of the hardest things to teach that when I'm working with salespeople, I say, you have to let go of the outcome. And they say, what do you mean? And I say, the, the process is about solving this person's problem which may or may not involve your product. Right. Okay, well, well, they, they can't get their head wrapped around that because... They're too... In, they're because too info- it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah it's, my, it's my job to sell this product and I need a commission. You, you don't understand. You know, my right. kids need shoes, right? right. And, and that's, that's, <laughs> you know, that's not what it's about because when, when, you're, when you're in the mode of my kids need shoes and I need this sale, you... You know, the, the customer knows that immediately. Yeah, they can they sense feel it. it immediately. Yeah. All right. And, and usually it's blatant in the way you, in the things you say. I mean, I had a dentist once a few years ago here who, who said to me, he literally looked me in the face and he said, you know, he had asked me, you know, when, when are we going to do this cosmetic dentistry? And I said, well, I want to get braces first and straighten the teeth because I think that we should fix the foundation before we put on the siding. Right. And he looked at me and he said, well, how am I going to make any money on you? Huh. I mean, it was like, like, dude, what, <laughs> what planet are you on? Yeah. I don't come here. So I don't come here because I'm trying to feed you. Yep. I come here because I'm trying to fix my teeth. Yep. So, you know, and, but that was blatant. But that's what most, most, you know, salespeople are thinking when they're out there and you got to let go of that. You just you just let go of it and you focus on what's there. I was I was uh, I was in a in a call this week. Really fascinating. I wish I had a video. Might have been the best sales call of my life. But we just started out. I just started out talking to the guy about his you know, CEO about the vision for his company. Right. And he said, you know, I want to build a great company that honors God. Now, you kind of had to be there, but they just built this spectacular building with, I mean, it was just, it was like a museum, and it was full of all this extraordinary art. I mean, just, you know, 
money was not an object when they built this building, trust me. Right, okay. And, I, and, I, and here's a guy saying, I want to build a great company in Scott. And I, and I looked at him and I said, it looks to me like you built a pretty great company already. And he said, oh, no, we're good, but we're not great. Hmm. And I said, well, tell, tell me what great looks like. And we just started this conversation, and it didn't have anything to do with why I was there. Right. And as we started the conversation, he said, you know, you know, one of the things I think is that I'm not communicating very well with people, you know, with the people who work for me. And, you know, we used to be small. I used to get to, you know, coach everybody individually, but now we're huge, and I, I get branch offices and people all over the place, and I don't even know some of these people. Right. And I want to write a book. I want to write a book and tell them about, you know, how we think and how we're different and how we can build this great company. And I said, mm. so, you know, so he said, I, I started it. I started writing it over the weekend. And I said, you know, well, gee, you know, would you be willing to send me a copy? I'd love to read it. And he said, I'd love your input. I said, I'd love to help you. And he said, well, you know, could you get it published for me? I said, yeah, I can, you know, I know a lot of, you know, we can self-publish it and you know, a lot of places to get that done. And, you know, this has nothing to do with why I'm there. Of course. But I'm helping him You're do what he needs value. to do. Yeah. Exactly. But so then you know, then we started talking about his son. I'm not sure how that came up, but he was talking about his son. He's twenty three, he's lost and he, you know, has you know, he's trying to figure out what he wants to do for a living and you know, whatever. Well, I, I have a great book I always recommend, which is uh, the defining decade. So if you're if you're in your twenties or anywhere close to your twenties, you should grab a copy. Everybody I've recommended to loves it. It's awesome. And, uh, you know, so I, I bought, a, I bought two copies of the book and I, you know, wrote in, in one, I said, this one's for you, you know, read, read a chapter and then discuss it with your son, the other book's for your son. And I sent it along and, you know, so, and, and the more we talked, you know, the, you know, we started talking about literature and we were bonding over literature and, you know, what are you reading and what are you reading and what do you like to read? And, Hey, I just read this. And if you read that, you know, whatever. And, you know, at the end of that whole discussion, he looked at me and he said, well, how much is this thing anyway? And I said, $20,000. And he said, I want to put three people through it. So, you know, $60,000. That's awesome. Uh, and, it, you know, it was much more, you know, when I teach uh, collaborative selling, what I say is it's not about finding facts. You know, how many people do you have and how much are your revenues and, you know, all these you know, facts about the company and the organization. Right. It's really about it's aligning with your with their values, feelings, and goals. Hmm. And it was it was an extraordinary you know conversation because in the course of forty five minutes, you know, he and I were like you know brothers from another mother. It was like yeah. we you know we were able to bond over our common values and our common love of books and business books and you know, and what he was trying to do in the company and, you know, and how I was able to, to, you know, to help him and, and just to move forward in general in his life. Well, yeah. And, and you really and, understood and, him and who he was. Like you, you really sought to understand him before you cared about him understanding what you had to offer at all. Right. And, and in the end, he didn't care. He basically said, you know, I like you. If you're telling me this is a good program, I'm in. Get three people in the sense. Right. Yeah, it was, you know, awesome. it was a, it was a non-issue. Yeah. 
And so, I mean, you know, I mean, that's, that's sort of an idyllic scenario, right? I know all the people are listening going, oh, yeah, man, if I could just, you know, do that, like, be good. Well, you know, I agree. It's, I don't have those every week, but, you know, but that's really the goal is to, is to, you know, find how can I bring value to this person? And again, for me, it's, you know, it's much more about, you know, a healing ministry, right? Than, mm-hmm. Right? That's just trying to be the doctor I couldn't be in a, you know, in, a, in an MD kind of way. Yep. And, and and it always works for me. So... Yeah. I mean, even, that, even, you know, even how we met, you took the very same approach. We went out for lunch and had a really good conversation. And again, it's about, it's almost, in some ways, depending what you're you're selling, I mean, in some ways it's... It's just so much more to it because there's a lot – I mean there, I always say there's the two most difficult things to do with another human that require the highest degree of trust and confidence and faith in the other person is get someone to give you money and get someone to have sex with you. And of course we're painting in broad strokes because we all know people that are the exception. But generally speaking, it's a really scary thing in both in both instances. You have to be vulnerable, right, right? because of what they represent. And I, I – yeah, you just – no, I really, really like it, and it really resonates with me, and I'm sure a lot of people on the call, they feel the same way. And just even when you describe it, like, and you talk about this guy putting three people through it, I mean, one, you sold him, but I feel like you'll also get a better long-term relationship out of this client because there's just such a good foundation to it. And that's something that people I, – and I think that that's something that maybe – um, we're losing in today's day. It's something I've really noticed having moved from Canada to California. Um, and I, we may have talked about this a couple of times, but I just feel that here people treat each other as if they're more expendable, you know, like uh, in a lot of ways. Well, they, like, no, they are. They are. Yeah. And, you know, I, I told you where I, you know, I grew up with a, you know, where there were 52 homes. Right. Uh, it, it snowed there. It got bitterly cold there. Uh, the last thing you want is to piss off one of your neighbors and be standing by the side of the road with your car broken down on a cold winter night when there's only three cars are going to go by in the next six hours. Right. You you better hope that you hope the first yeah. guy looks at you and goes, "Oh, I want to stop and help this guy." Right. <laughs> yep. You know, we were we were very uh, dependent on one another. You know, to get through life. And, you know, if somebody had a fire or a flood or a, you know, a death in the family or whatever, everybody was there. And uh, it was a very supportive community. And, and California, I, I love, California has an enormous brain trust, but, you know, many of the people who came to California came here sort of to be independent. I want to do my own thing. Right. And so I'm going to go to California where, you know, nobody will interfere with me doing my own thing. And... You know, as a result, I think culturally California is much more selfish. Yeah, um, in a big way. In general, and uh, in, in, you know, I'm doing my thing, and you know, if you want to come along and do your thing with me, then that's okay. But you know, don't interfere with what I'm doing. And you know, but I'm seeing it's interesting. I'm seeing in the, in the entrepreneurial communities, both North and Southern California. That's starting to turn a little bit. They're starting to really build the community and realize that, you know, if we're going to turn uh, America around, if we're going to turn the economy around, that, you know, we're going to have to be more cooperative than we've ever been. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, and you're, you're in a mastermind group with, you know, with these, these folks and, mm-hmm. and you see it and we're starting to see a lot of these organizations develop and these organizations are coming together and saying how we get all the organizations to cooperate 
to, you know, to help the entrepreneurial community to turn the economy around. And, yep. and San Diego becoming, uh, it's, you know, it's becoming one of the top centers in the, in the world for entrepreneurs. So. Yeah, which is nice. I mean, I don't want to paint too much of a bleak because I've met some phenomenal people here in Cal, like such as yourself. I mean, you've been a, you've been a wonderful friend and advisor and client. And, um, so it's just been amazing on, on that respect. But I think, yeah, just, just again, to go back to your approach to sales, to treat the person like a person and to really have them feel helped and understood. I mean, when was the last time anyone really took interest in you and gave, you know what I like people tell me I'm great at being interesting or interested versus interesting. And I got that compliment. I was at a conference in Vegas and I got that compliment from like five people. They said the same thing. They said, you are really good at being interested versus interesting. They all use the same language. I don't know if people were talking about me or what, but I think that that's really (laughs) important because when was the last time someone really stopped in their day to listen to you? I just, I love that example. I, again, I know it's an ideal scenario, but to have listened to the, to the CEO, to heard his vision, to get in tune for that. I mean, that's even why I've got a couple of interns working for me and the reason why people even want the internship is they want to be able to prove themselves because hey if i'm here and i'm working and you know i prove myself then you know that a lot of people are hoping to find that as a route to get one work experience but also get a job and it's true because some of these people i don't want to let them go or have them move on at some point i want to keep around because by the time right their internship ends they're going to know my stuff and all this so well how am I going to find someone I can replace that with that gets me and what I want to accomplish? And, you know, and even though they're only doing this small piece of it, they get how it fits into my greater whole. And so they, they get it. They understand they're on board. You can't find and train that very easily. Um, it's expensive and time consuming. So depending on the price point someone's selling at, I mean, if they're selling a $10 widget, that might be a little bit different. But still at the same time, you're still trying to help solve people's problems. And I just, I love, I love your approach. Well, well, or create an opportunity. That's the other the other piece. So, you know, a lot of times people have huge opportunities in front of them that they don't know how to to grasp, right? So it's not just solving a problem. It's also can be on the opportunity side of, of you know, I mean, I'm, I'm working with a company right now. It's a, it's a merger of two companies. And looking at the enormous opportunity they have in pooling their talents and working together and, and being able to reach so many more people and add so much more value. And so it's really about taking advantage of the opportunity rather than, you know, solving a problem. Right. Mm. So, mm. you know, too often we, you know, too often we're looking for the person to be in pain. They don't necessarily have to be in pain. There are a lot of successful people out there who say, you know, Hey, I got a lot of cool stuff and how do I, you know, how do I get to the next level? Right. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. So, um, what would you so recommend? I think we're on question one. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, no, no. I think it's been good. I, I, I think we're. I'd like to jump to. I'd like to ask. What would you recommend to people who are struggling with this? I mean, you know, um, people who are having issues with their selling, who are. No, I think we've hit off on a lot of key points. I mean, it's it's fine. We don't. The agenda is just there as a guide. I mean, really, I know. I just. Yeah, I, I know. It I is just, funny, though. We, we just definitely riffed on that one. Oh, yeah. No, no. It was, uh, it was good. But what would you recommend to someone who's listening to this and they're like, wow, that sounds so great, but how do I get like – I mean, it might seem elementary to us, but someone who's really struggling with, how, all right, how do I implement this? How do I get started? How do I do more collaborative selling? How do I you know, sw- turn the tables and reverse the, the approach? How do I even get going with that? Right. Well, so you know, the, the big thing is to start with questions. 
right? So I, I have, I mean, I have on my desktop at all times, I have a long list of questions to ask clients. And, you know, if somebody, you know, cold calls me out of the blue and says, hey, I'm, you know, got this issue this problem with this opportunity, I immediately go to my list of questions. So, you know, I've been, I've been doing it for 30 years. I still keep a written list of questions there. When I go in on a sales call, I have a written list of questions. Um, and people say, well, isn't that kind of professional? you got to have a cheat sheet. I say, no, think about how the customer views it, right? Would you rather have your, you know, your pilot come to the plate with a checklist and check his checklist before he takes off? Or you want to go, oh, no, I've done this a thousand times. This is off and the puppy and go. Yeah, no, that's that's actually that's a great book, uh, Checklist Manifesto, and that's the whole right. premise of the book that they exactly like. It's actually it's a sign of professionalism because people forget, and you know, and you know, and we're humans, right. and we're dilatory, and we're absent-minded. Um, exactly that reason. Exactly that reason. Yeah. So, so I, you know, I, I take my checklist in, and I go through my checklist, and I'm very meticulous about it, and and uh, and. Uh, so you know that's the I mean, that's the core of of how you start. And most most people are you know they're they're afraid to ask a question and they're afraid to ask a follow up question. Right. You know sometimes you you know you'll say what's going on in your life and they go oh my god you know I'm going through like the most horrendous divorce in the history of planet Earth. Right. And and the person you know when I go out and sales calls with people you know and I watch them and they'll sit there and go oh I'm sorry and then they switch. Okay. Well, why do you think that guy brought it up? Right. Right. It's because he wants to talk about it. Yep. Right. And so the worst thing you can do is not talk about it. Yep. Yeah. Be on your own agenda versus theirs. Right. So, you know, so I, you know, I, I just say, gee, I'm so sorry to hear that. You know, what's going on? And then, you know, if they don't want to talk about it, they'll say, oh, well, let's focus here. But, and usually, usually they do. They go, oh, geez, you know, this, they get the kids, they get this and that, you know, and and they just, you know, they, you know, they're emotionally want to vent. They will, you know, because because they're human. You know, we keep we keep thinking that you know just because you, you're you know you're inside a company, you suddenly become an automaton, and you know you behave like a robot. And it's just not true. Humans are human, yep. and we you know we need to be human in the process. So yep. you know, you ask questions, and if they bring things up, it's fair game, and, and dig deeper, and you know, learn and acquire and and when you're, you know, when you understand their values, feelings, goals, beliefs, obstacles, and ideas, you know, then uh, usually by the time you dig through that, at some point they'll say, "Well, gee, you know, can you help me, or what do you have, or you know, whatever." And then when they, once you've gotten that invitation to collaborate, then then you say, "Great, let's, you know, let's either do it now or set up a time to sit side by side and co-create a solution." Right. And it's, it's 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 not that hard. Yep. It just requires the discipline and the guts to be able to go do that. And people are they're afraid to risk an opportunity to pitch. Yep. And to me, the opportunity to pitch, all it does is it says, you know, I'm a selfish bastard and you know, you need to shut up and listen to me. Right. And you know, every time you take the time to ask questions, the worst case scenario is that you end up with a relationship. Yeah, exa- yeah, and a good relationship at that. A really good relationship right. at that. Um, 
No, I think that's great because that even, again, uh, for, uh, sales and marketing are, so, are tied so close together. But as a marketer, they say you have to begin with the conversation going on in your client's head. So when you bring up the divorce thing, if that's like if their day is distracted because that's what they're talking about, then they just need to work through that before the, you guys can be on the same level. I mean, that's really exactly. you got to get into mirroring and synchronicity with someone. You know, like you just you just you just confirmed. I mean, our brains are designed to connect you like like a network of right. modems and Internet. And exactly like you just did that right now. He said, right, like you pitched in to give me feedback to let me know that it's okay for me to keep progressing forward. And people need that. And if you're not in sync with someone, you're not going to be able to get the sales. So exactly, you got to slow down to come to their level and then you got to work there together. I, yeah, it's just, it's it's really awesome content. Rick, I love your approach to, to business and, and relationships and collaboration. I just think it's just really... Well- it's just really good. I really hope everyone on this well, call is you. taking notes uh, because there's just there's lots of gems and little metaphors and things that I mean some of it might sound like common sense, but common sense is not all that common and and it's just it's yeah it's just it's just really it's not good. common practice. Well, yeah, it might common. be. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. It, it's common practice. It's called practice for a reason. You have to do it over and over again. But yep. the other thing I see out there is you know people ignoring. Selling. Everybody wants to market now because that way I don't have to get near any humans, right? I'll just you know, <laughs> sit at my desk. I'll sit at my desk and I'll and I'll market, market, market. You know, through my computer, yep. and I, you know, I won't have to you know touch anybody or or be emotional. And you know, that doesn't. That, you know, that's that's not where the big bucks are. I, I can tell you that. You know, if you if you need to make a sale in the next thirty days. Um, you know, you're more likely to make a significant sale in person than you are, uh, you know, over the phone. You're more likely to make it over the phone than you are uh, on the internet. Right. And you know, so I mean, and if you think about, you know, how do we market over the internet? You know, on the internet, we use a funnel, right? We mm-hmm. we use little tiny things, just you know, free things, and then we have a little, you know, small price thing that we build trust over time. Right. Uh, because there isn't that personal face-to-face human, you know, connection. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a and lot that's... of entrepreneurs out there who say, "Well, you know, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna do all this internet marketing," and they're starving. And I say, if you're starving, let's go find ten people right now. Yep. And and, and let's, you know, let's see if we can get some cash in the pocket because, yep. you know, that's that's a, it's a it's short term. It's you know, it's significant. And if you're selling, if you're selling. You know, the bigger the ticket, the more personal the sale has to be. Yeah. So yeah. it's it, it's it's it, you know it's not one or the other; it's both and, right? They're they're two tools that go hand in hand. Yep, yep, yep. And and that's actually something I got. I brought. I said this a few times, but I got a lot of praise from some of my mentors and peers at a at a conference. Um, at a VIP session when I, exactly like you said, you know, all direct, like all this internet marketing stuff, it's all just a way to try to scale that one-on-one sales presentation. I mean, it's a way to try to can and clone the sales process, but even, even sales letters, which were the original method of doing it, the written word, but the best copywriters in the world 
they all said that they would knock on a hundred doors to sell a hundred, you know, and try and sell a hundred prospects before they even wrote a letter of a marketing promotion because they needed to understand the people's like pain points, complaints, their objections, their internal dialogue, the things that they would say, because they needed to address all those in the letter because the letter is only good as their sales presentation. That's all they are. And what you said exactly, face-to-face, nothing will convert as well as one-on-one, face-to-face. And the next to that might be one-to-many if you're on a stage. And the next to that would be like one-on-one with a live interactive webinar. And the next to that would be one-to-many live interactive webinar. And the next to that would be like a simulated live webinar. And the next to that would be a live one-on-one phone call. And it just regresses that way through like video sales letter and all these things down to you get to just your text sales letter because it's all just exactly like you said, it's less personal and it's less customized and it requires a higher degree of fine tuning. I mean, to get a sales letter that's really dialed in, um, you have to have had all those conversations. You have to have had, like you've had to have tried to sell that many people and, and all you're going to do then is can and clone that into your sales letter or into your webinar or your teleseminar or your video sales letter or any of that. And that's, I really think that that's, um, even I think when you deal with a sales team, I, I forgive me, I might, I'm stepping outside my bounds here into, into your world and, and by all means slap my hand if I'm wrong, but I feel like when you're dealing with a sales team, it's trying to get the best conversation with the, their ideal client and then get everyone to, to do that, to mimic that and to model to model that essentially. Um, and you know, and I don't know if that's correct or wrong. I think it's, I think it's a, equipping people with a, a tool chest of, of tools that they can use, but then ultimately you have to adapt it to the client. And like we talked about, you know, using questions to take them from where they are to where, you know, to coming to their own realization, whether it's your product or not. Um, but it just, it really comes down to having, you know, getting the best guy on the team who's got the most experience that really understands the prospect the best because to be the best sales rep, you probably, you have to, I shouldn't even say probably, you have to understand the prospect better than everyone else. That's the only way you could be number one is to really understand the people because otherwise, how do you gain, how do you gain the rapport, the trust? How do you, how do you really help them better than anyone else unless you know them better? Is that, am I, am I off on anything? Is that all? No, you're, no, you're exactly right. And that's why, I mean, you know, whenever, whenever there's a new product out there that people are having trouble with, I say, oh, my is a, is a great saying in Japanese, uh, genbutsu, which is go to the place and see the thing for yourself. Mm. And, and, and that's really, and so, you know, that's one of my mottos that I've hanging on my wall. It's just, you know, when people say, gee, I'm having this problem and I don't understand this or that or whatever. And I say, you know, I have, I have to come, I have to come look, I have to go talk to the customer. I got to go talk to your sales team. I got to go talk to the customer service people. I got to, you know, you know, let me, you know, let me go to the place and see the thing for myself. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's where the insights come from. And that's basically, you know, what a great marketer does. I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're seeing now in marketing, you're seeing anthropologists join the field of marketing. Yep. Oh yeah. Because it's, oh, yeah. right. What is that about? It's, it's about understanding, you know, how, how does, you know, Homo erectus, you know, <laughs> think yeah. about and feel and behave in this particular environment around this particular uh, thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, whether it's, whether it's the design of a remote control or, you know, the, the, you know, learning from an information product, yep. it's, you know, it's really understanding human beings and how they work and think and believe and, you know, and interact. Yep. Yep. 
Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, it's marketing is like just one giant psychology experiment. It's just it's measuring the difference between what people say and what they what they do, or testing with the difference between what people want and what pocket of people want what more and what capacity. And it really is. I mean, I I like in marketing a lot. I mean, you you do a lot of different things and you throw it up on the wall, and obviously you put your best foot forward. I mean, that's Gary Halbertism. He says fail fast. I mean, if you're going to go into a new market and do your best thing, you make the absolute best offer to who you think is the absolute ideal, like a, the best person you could ever speak to. And you go with that first, because if you can't make that work, then you're in trouble. And, um, you know, you talk about uh, a Japanese quote. I mean, one of the things that I love, and I've heard tons of different renditions of this, but I was told for me from a Japanese friend when I was in Japan about how the university campus, uh, the Tokyo University campus was expanded. And the story in, uh, is basically they bought this parcel of land, which is a big deal. Most people buy and sell and trade buildings, but never the land because it's an island and there's only it's a finite resource. So it's a big deal if someone buys land and very expensive. So um, this university had bought land. They cleared out the buildings. They had a project manager and a site manager, and they directed these buildings. And the site manager managed the tradesmen, and the project manager had the blueprints. And they directed the buildings, and they had the outside done, and the tradesmen were going through the buildings inside and doing all the finishing work. And the site manager came to the project manager and said, hey, your blueprint doesn't show where we should have any parks, where we should have any resting benches or water fountains or any of that for the campus. Um, where, do you, where do you want them? We, we've, we're pulling out of the heavy equipment. We're ready to do this. And the project manager said, you know, we're just a few weeks away from when the school season starts. Let's just finish what we've already started and get those buildings ready for use, and let's worry about that stuff in the spring. And they had a bit of a fight back and forth because the site manager is like, no, 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 everyone's here now. We should just do it now because we're here, right? Like, just do it. Everyone's ready. And ultimately, they went with the project manager, and what happened was is over the winter, the campus was full of people and became alive, and people were, like, using it and going places and doing things. And then when the spring came and they went to go put in the landscaping, they didn't need blueprints because the people showed them where they needed stuff. The paths went from one door to the building that they were headed and it showed them how wide it needed to be and people would sat in the dirt, you know, in the rest areas to show where they wanted to rest and, and that sort of things. And they really just built it to suit to the people. And that's almost what happens with a lot of marketing. I'm helping a client with um, some ad campaigns now. And one of the things I'm saying is you have to understand is your ad campaign will, will almost never be as inefficient and ineffective as when you first get it started because everything is an experiment. We have no idea. We just need to get some data. And as we get more data, we can refine it and then really dial it in to where we know who, who we should be targeting and we like which ad and, you know, and, and all that, it's that refinement process. And I think that that's, um, I mean, I went on a bit of a tangent there, but I think that all just speaks to kind of what, what we've been saying is that you go to the place and see it for yourself and get a really good, like, look at the details and at the, and get granular. And anyways, I just, yeah, just, it's really good, solid. And it, unfortunately, it's not this get rich quick, you know, philosophy that people want to hear and click these four buttons and, you know, and do X, Y, Z and money will fly out of your computer. Um, but I think it's really solid fundamental practices and, I think over time. Well, it's, it's, it's community building. It's yep. community building. And, and it, it always comes back to community building. Mm-hmm. And if you look, if you look at the people who are incredibly successful, they, you know, they found their tribe. They found a few followers and those few followers brought more followers and, and, you know, they built community over time that aligns with their point of view. Mm-hmm. You know, and there, there are a lot of people, there are a lot of people who think what you and I are talking about is crazy talk and, you know, screw that, get in, get the sale, get out, you know, how many sales calls can you make in a day? And, 
you know, stop worrying about the customers, you know, get the money and all of that. And they're, and, you know, they have their, they have their tribes too. Yep. Um, but, you know, that hasn't been my experience. It's not the way I want to be. It's not how I want to be remembered. It's not what I want in my legacy. I mean, you know, I mean, one of the things I'm most proud about is that, you know, I can take my sales book, my collaborative selling book, and I can hand it to a client and say, this is how I'd like to work with you over the next, you know, 10 years. Uh-huh. Now, you, 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 I defy you to pick up any other sales book and say, here, client, this is how we're going to work together. Yep. Because they're, you know, they're all about how you manipulate the client. Yep, yep, yep. No, I agree wholeheartedly. And that's, and that's something where I think a lot of people, they don't necessarily realize that, um, you know, when you get into a business, you may want to build the business and sell it, sure. But at the same time, you're still, you know, you're still a reputation. There's still, like, if you want to build something and sell it, you, there has to be, like, legs to it. It has to have that, that foundation. And that's, I, yeah, I, I don't I mean, I haven't built all these companies. I've helped generate millions of dollars, and I can attest to that when you talk about community building and, and just – and I've seen the difference between guys that go in and they just pull out a bunch – suck out a bunch of money and try to run. And I mean it's – I mean, there's short-term money in that, but I mean it – I just don't know if the trade-off is there because how do you go back to those people? You know, you start having places you don't want to show your face and, you know, and there's, I I don't know, it works for some people, but it just, it's not sustainable and there's no real way you can build like a real business. And I don't know many people that do make a lot of money that way because there's no way to do that without burning bridges and relationships that are then just going to make it harder for you down the road and, and, you know, and just double, triple, quadruple the work for you. I just think that, Anyways, I just it's been a really good call that way. It's been very, very, very practical and just very I don't just no nonsense in business, and that's what I want. That's the kind of tribe and community that I really want because I think those are the people. I mean, I set a goal that I may or may not share with you, but I want to help create 200 new multimillionaires who solve world problems with entrepreneurship, and that's that's legitimate. That's real because I've helped generate millions of dollars, and even you know even recently I helped someone generate half a million dollars, and it's just it's. You know, it's, it's, you, I don't want to be tied to anything that's going to, that's going to, you know what I mean? That's coming, going to come around and bite me because I was associated with it. I don't want to be anywhere near that. Um, so no, that's, that's really, really awesome. All right. So Rick, do you have any favorite, uh, we talked about a quote of yours. Do you have any favorite books that you would recommend or did we already mention that? Well, there was a book you mentioned. What was the one for 20 year olds? Oh, um, the defining decade by Meg J. Defining decade. Okay. Got it. But uh, I just read just read Zero to One, Peter Thiel's book. It's uh, extraordinary. Really? Um, one of the best uh, for entrepreneurs. Um, I just read uh, a leadership book called High Altitude Leadership by Chris Warner. I think it's probably the freshest thinking in leadership in the last decade. It's the best book I've read on leadership since Jack Welch. Mm. Um um, perennial favorite of mine is The Psychology of Winning by Dennis Waitley. I've memorized it. I'll probably dictate the book. Um, and one of my favorite ones, you know, when things were, were down was uh, Tough Times Never Last, Tough People Do. I don't know if that's print anymore, but it's by Robert Schuler. And, uh, you know, when uh, was written during the, you know, the recession in the 80s, but uh, boy, I'm telling you, it's, you know, Perpetual truths, you know. Tough times don't last. Tough people do. If you're an entrepreneur, you got to be tough. Mm-hmm. 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 And uh, you know, you just have to get up one more time, 
right? Doesn't matter how many times life knocks you down, yeah, you gotta get up one more time. Up. Yeah, that's yeah, that's an old that's an old martial arts thing. It's not how many times you get knocked down, it's how many times you get back up. That's right. That's right. So, uh, Rick, what are you working on now? What are you doing these days? Well, um, as, as you're aware, I'm trying to launch uh, max-rev.com uh, to try to get that up and running and, and uh, try to take all my content and move it online. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, it was all built in the analog era, and so I've got to convert everything to digital and make it uh, accessible to people. So I'm, I'm working on that, and then uh, and then I'm coaching uh, entrepreneurs and business leaders uh, to try to... Uh, for other businesses, so got it. Yeah, and you you have well, phenomenal content. You've got content for days, stuff like this. You've been in the industry how many years now? Twenty. Thirty three. Thirty three. Thirty three. Got it. I didn't want to date you, um, <laughs> but yeah, for it does date years. me. But yeah. you know, but the, you know the, the the fun part about it is every every, you know, every so often, like Jim, I'm thirty three now, and I think, well, when I'm thirty, you know, when I'm thirty five, on a big party, big celebration, and I've been saying that since since year one, and somehow. You know, I'm always so busy helping clients that, you know, I keep missing the anniversaries and now it's been 33. So, you know, if you keep your head down and you're focused on your clients, you're having a lot of fun, um, you know, the years go by and it goes pretty fast and it's uh, very rewarding. Hmm. Oh, it's very, very rewarding work. How do people get in touch with you if they want to want to know more about Rick? You mentioned the site max-rev, R-E-V, M-A-X-R-E-V.com. Is there any other sites or any other ways that people can get in touch with you? Uh, they can go to overpromise.com and uh, learn about my overpromise over deliver work. So, which is a I'm great an easy book, guy to get a hold of. Yeah, no, you are. Thank you. And you're easy guy to get a hold of. Yeah. Uh, well, I try to be. Right. Try to be. Yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't go over well if you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't be in tune with your message, but no, Rick, I can definitely speak from experience that you've just been, and just even people that I know that I've dealt with you, you just, yeah, it's, there's the reason why after 33 years, you're just getting better and you're just having higher degrees of success. And I think that, um, once you get your online course up and launched, I just think, I think it's going to empower you to help a large audience of people in a way that's going to be exactly say it's very, very, very rewarding. Um, and obviously, as we just proven this this call, you just have phenomenal content, really good, time tested, practical content that you just, you know, that's something that's really important for me as well. I know, is especially in martial arts, being a martial artist, there's always new bells and whistles and tricks. And hey, there's the, you know, in the art I train, there's the Baron Bolo, there's the Spider Guard. Well, Spider Guard's actually pretty good, but there's like the Octopus Guard. There's all these like weird, fancy things that come out. These shiny whistles, but at the, the end of the day. Like you just the practical, fundamental, time tested truths are what you want to use because if I can use those and beat a black belt at the world championships, that's the stuff I want to learn. I don't want to learn the stuff that's going to become irrelevant once I fight someone who's got more than three years of experience. And that happens a exactly. lot in the martial arts. And so that's something that I've really I really glean from you and your content is that the stuff that um, that you help me with and the stuff I've just discovered through, you know, working with you. Um, it's just, it's stuff that will never leave you astray, never leave you astray because it's just, it's just rooted in things that are like, it's just, it's, it's that, what did we say it was? It wasn't common knowledge. It was common, common practice. practice. Right. Just, just because, just because it's common knowledge doesn't mean it's common practice. Exactly. So, 
Um, yeah, so all right. So anyone listening that wants to get in touch with Rick, you can be reached at max-rev.com. Uh, you said there was barrera.com as well. Was that right? Uh, yeah, Barrera.com, Overpromise.com. <laughs> Overpromise.com, and you've got your books listed on Amazon, and it's Rick Barrera, R-I-C-K-B-A-R-R-E-R-A. Uh, Rick, thank you so much for your time today. As always, it is always an honor and a pleasure. Very much value you and your friendship and your time, and I really appreciate you just taking some time out of your day today to just share some of your genius and your wisdom with uh, with my listeners. So thank you. Well, glad to be here, Daryl, and uh, you have a great tribe, and love to help them any way I can. Awesome, awesome, awesome. You've reached the end of our interview. Now, first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, What can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better, and your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website, bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. Uh, You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast, and if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself, and remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.